Good morning, afternoon, and evening, and welcome to the 8311Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, Ariane Barry, and Wyatt Teeter as we talk to you about college basketball, the NFL, the NBA, and of course, our signature segments, Mike's Stupid Rules and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 159. <laughs> Alabama ties Florida State University for the most consecutive top 10 finishes in the AP Top 25 poll at 14 consecutive years. Bama's streak came to a close as Georgia finished the season with the number one spot, breaking Alabama's record that started all the way back in 2008. FSU's previous record-spanning timeline was from 1987 to 2000. To the surprise of no one, Oklahoma is the Big 12's only representation for streaks of more than eight years consecutively, with their uh, 1971 to 1980 for 10 years, and 1948 to 1958 for 11. Additional fun fact, the Bengals' last playoff win before this season was in 1991. The first ever text message was sent in 1992, and someone just sent a text about the Bengals winning a playoff game for the first time in history. That's pretty wild to think about. That is, that is, that, that, that never real text has been sent about the Bengals actually winning a playoff game. If it wasn't for Vontez Burfitt, that wouldn't be the case. Y'all remember when Vontez Burfitt just like literally killed somebody across the middle when he really didn't need to and it cost him a game? That was also when Antonio Brown lost his marbles right there. He is... That's true. Yeah. Small yeah. world. Yeah, it is. It is. But it hasn't been a very uh, very cool world for the Cyclone basketball teams, both of them. We'll start with the ladies. We'll give you a quick update there. They are up to number seven. Yes, you heard that right. Number seven in the AP poll. Um, it's their highest ranking in the last 20 years. Um, they're definitely the... Uh, they're definitely the best team in the Big 12 um, at this point. They're the only undefeated team in conference play um, as they're now 5-0. and um, This last week, they came back to beat K-State on the road. K-State was leading most of that game. Their uh, Cyclones were down by as much as 11, but they came back, banked in a three to go ahead by one um, with about six seconds left and then ended up hitting two free throws to win 72 73. Um, that was a big win because K-State um, was a top 25 team at the time. They since dropped out. Um, and then um, and they have one of the probably one of the top 10 players um, in the in the nation as well. K-State does. And then the, later they had a pretty easy win over Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State's not very good. The outcome of that game was never in doubt. Um, ESPN's women's bracketologist, Charlie Cream, I think that's how you pronounce it, Krem, something like that, um, currently has the Cyclone women as a number two seed um, in the NCAA tournament. Um, with, then with their seventh, seventh ranking in the uh, AP poll and their number seven ranking in the net, um, that seems about right. That's, that's definitely uh, two seed. It's a big week upcoming for the Cyclone women's basketball team. They have two top 15 matchups this week. When they take on Texas at home on Wednesday, that is going to be a 6.30 game on uh, on ESPN+. And then they also take on number 15, Baylor. Yes, Texas and Baylor are both 15. They're literally tied in the poll. Then they go to uh, number 15, Baylor. That game will be a 2 o'clock kickoff on Sunday on ESPN2. So... Big week for the Cyclone women. If they can get two wins out of this, um, they will be in 
really, really good shape to lock up a, a one or two seed in the NCAA tournament. So huge week um, upcoming for the women. Um, the men um, continued their brutal um, start to the schedule, meaning difficult, sorry, not that they're playing brutally. They're just that the start of the schedule is brutal. And they did uh, did it with a one-in-one one week. Um, first, they went to uh, 2KU, to the Fog, and lost a last uh, uh, lost a game at the last second to KU, um, 62-61. to uh, 61. And um, I know Kyle and Ariana are going to have uh, some more thoughts on this one. My my biggest takeaways for this is we weren't quite ready for the hostile environment in the first half. Too many unforced turnovers in the first half, um, which which cost uh, Iowa State some possessions, and then just not quite enough defense down the stretch um, were the two big things for me. What were other people's thoughts on that game? Yeah, I mean, obviously that first two minutes of the second half, that team did not want or. Sorry, not two minutes, the first eight minutes of that second half. The team didn't come out with enough uh, fire, passion, whatever you want to put to that. They were just lackluster. I mean, I felt like they managed it decently well in the first half. Yeah, the turnovers hurt, but one thing that was good about Iowa State's turnovers in Lawrence was what hurt Texas a lot in uh, Hilton at the end of the week in, in Iowa State's second game was Iowa State's turnovers weren't live ball turnovers. So if there's anything to take out of, you know, the the misery of turning the ball over a lot in the first half, I think it was about five unforced errors or so, one of them straight to Mr. Official on the sideline, is that they were all dead ball turnovers and KU didn't have many chances for um points off turnovers in those situations but those turnovers the lack of scoring for eight minutes really did the cyclones in i thought they they were gritty at the end of the game uh climbing that mountain i mean ariana and i kept looking at each other saying man five points feels like mount everest right now uh for this team trying to get back in that game but they scrapped their way back into it and took the lead late. I think on that final possession, Arion can chime in here. I think, or sorry, the third to final possession. At that point, do you just let Isaiah Brockington take the last shot? Don't take that shot at 15 seconds, right? Yeah, it's a hard balancing act. Because like you just said, man, we could not score points. It felt like so hard to get it in there. So if you see a good chance, go ahead. But I mean... The kid was making every random pull up with three guys on him in those last couple minutes. So if you can get that shot, you can get it all the time. And I do think that you should probably hold the ball in that case, because I feel like if you have a chance to win there, you have to you have to capitalize on that because it's pretty darn hard. At the same time, we did actually get a really good shot to finish that game. And unfortunately, we just missed it. But uh, I think when we were counting there, we saw four four unforced turnovers in the first half, and I think six overall uh, just unforced dead ball turnovers, more or less us throwing the ball out of bounds for no reason. And I I agree, dead ball turnovers are definitely better than live ball turnovers, but it's the fact that most of them were not forced. It was just us making a terrible decision in some aspect. Within the first two minutes of the game, we saw what you talked about last week, where Tyrese Hunter just launches up into the air like a prairie dog and then launches the ball somewhere random after he realizes he did not have 
uh, the space that he thought he had. So if we could cut those out of our game, we really don't have a lot of room for error with the way our team plays. Defense, 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 and you never know when we're going to go on an eight-minute scoring drought. It's happened multiple times. Yeah, I think what in three three straight games now it happened. It happened against uh, KU, OU, and Texas Tech. So at that point, it was three straight games. Eight minutes, um, two points happened. against KU. Four and a half minutes scoreless uh, against OU. Eight minutes with zero points against Texas Tech. And 14 minutes, we scored four points. So yeah, it's somewhat of a trend, especially at the beginning of the second half for whatever reason. I don't know if we're taking a nap at halftime instead of giving pep talks, but we should switch something up, whatever we're doing at halftime, to maybe come out with a little more energy. Yeah. Um, so the other thing I observed from that game, and it carried over into the Texas um, win too. The Cyclones knocked off Texas, um, seventy-nine to seventy, um, at Hilton Coliseum on Saturday. But the other thing I noticed is after we spent the last what was it two, three weeks whipping him, um, Gabe Kausher turned out to have what probably definitely his best week of the season, perhaps the best week of his career. Um, he did have a really good NCAA tournament as a freshman, so I'm not sure about Korea, but definitely the best week of his season. Um, he shot pretty good um, against KU and then was the, definitely the player of the game against Texas with 22 points, um, 6 of 12 from 3, um, especially in the second half, late in that second half against Texas. where We hit so many big shots. Every time Texas was trying to make a comeback, Kalsha would hit a big shot. Um, to keep them at arm's reach. So the question is, just like it was earlier, is this sustainable? Is this sustainable from Gabe Kalsha? I don't know, Mike. You have the most experience with him being from Minnesota. Uh, does he? How often were these streaks sustained for maybe longer than two weeks? S- since he was a, like, like I said, he was really good as a freshman. So if this is freshman Gabe Kalcher, I would say, yeah, he can he can keep that up. But, but since that freshman year, he just has not been able to keep his shot consistent enough. I'm not a great basketball player myself. I couldn't tell you what he's doing wrong that makes his shot so inconsistent. But his shot just hasn't been consistent enough that, no, I expect we're going to see another month like he was before these last two games. He's going to have another bad month, and then, you know, sometime in mid at the end of February, he's going to go off again for a week. That's just sort of who Gabe Kalsher has been these last, these last two years, and so far nothing he's done has convinced me otherwise. If he plays well in the next game, maybe I'll believe, but I still don't believe. And, and I, would agree, I would agree with that. And, I, I mean, obviously him stepping up against Texas was absolutely massive. Isaiah Brockington was plagued with foul trouble early in this game um, and really was a non-factor as Texas was actively on defense trying to take him out of most plays and most possessions. Um, they did they did end up running uh, a play for him out of an uh, inbounds, uh, sideline inbounds play. They, they got him, you know, open. But if, if Kalsher is inconsistent, you know, where do you get your offense from? Tyrese Hunter, for the most part, has been inconsistent. You know, that 120-point game against OU looking like a little bit of an outlier right now, scoring-wise. I mean, he's he's close to double digits in a lot of games. He had 18 against Texas, didn't he? I'm pretty sure he scored a ton against Texas. I, I was thinking it was only 12, but 
you know, it, there has to be a little bit more consistency, especially if teams like Texas is going to ultimately take Isaiah Brockington out of every defense, like every offensive possession that Iowa State has. You're going to have to have some consistency. It's a lot easier to say that than to do that. Not everybody's going to have the off- the defensive personnel that Texas has. They're if you look at their statistics and like their advanced metrics, they are shockingly similar to Iowa State and a little bit better in almost every metric. Yeah, and that was the most aggressive den- ball denial defense I have ever seen. Like to be honest, how aggressively they were denying Brockington the ball. That was the most aggressive ball denial defense I've ever seen. You're just not going to see that um, all the time. I think that was even heightened compared to what Chris Beard was doing at Tech, too. So I, I think it's just a you know perfect storm of what Texas's team is shaped up to be. I mean, heck, they ran a 12-man rotation against Iowa State where they were throwing in those two scout team guys who were playing their, their tails off on defense, too. Um, but... It's the way that it goes in the Big 12. I mean, next up, you got Texas Tech, which look at their defensive advanced metrics. They're off the charts, too. Um, obviously, there was, that was the ugly game that Iowa State played earlier this year and, and won. So it, Tuesday might, night might be a tough game to watch, but it should be a fun one down in Lubbock and then TCU on Saturday um, for the Cyclones upcoming schedule yeah, so it does get a little bit easier after this texas tech game um thankfully with tcu oklahoma state and then a bad missouri team um in the big 12 sec challenge um to close out the month um i do just have one more thought on the texas game and that i remember we we commented on this um after the iowa game the press break i thought iowa state's press break has gotten so much better i thought the press break was really really good against texas um, and that's that's good to see with how uh, aggressive Texas is on defense. Um, I think they've really shored up the press break, which really helps um, limit the turnovers. What are, so what are you seeing on that press break? You're seeing three guys spreading the floor with one guy in the middle and one of the bigs or another wing flashing to the middle in the half court when the ball gets a little bit closer to half court. You're seeing them swing the ball around a little bit better. They're keeping it more in the middle. And then if they are getting it up court on the wings, they're passing it to the middle of the court where it's really, really difficult to trap. I I think their press break, to Mike's point, has gotten substantially better since that first game. Um, And I think that that's going to be something that gets that is huge going forward. Uh, when games are close and tight and teams are looking for easy points against Iowa State, they're hopefully not going to be able to get them in the backcourt anymore. So, Yeah. So, like Kyle said, Tuesday against uh, Texas Tech in Lubbock, 8 o'clock on ESPNU. And then on Saturday, it's a 3 p.m. game against TCU. Currently, I have no television listed for that game. Um, so check uh, check back uh, on your own to see if that game's going to be televised. But currently, I don't have any TV listed for that. So hopefully, it'll be somewhere because I like watching the Cyclones. So and I want to just hit on Gabe Kelcher one more time, and then we can move on. But we don't need him to score twenty to thirty points every game. We just need him to not shoot thirty percent from the field and twenty percent from three. If he can score eight to 
14 points a game and just do it consistently and efficiently. He averaged 18 points the last two games on 45% shooting and 50% shooting. If he can just be a little more efficient, along with Caleb Grill, who is supposed to be this sharpshooter, but has been struggling pretty bad lately his past five games. He shot 16%, 33%, 0%, 0%, and 20% from three. If those guys can just get to where they are average, it will take so much pressure off of our other two guards who are so much more drive dependent. They just need to play well enough to be respected. And I think that opens up our offense a ton. Yeah, I agree. It's more about efficiency than than points for Kalisha. We just can't have him missing a ton of shots. Yeah. I agree. That's a good point. Um there were a lot of NFL teams that uh, missed their shots uh, this week in the playoffs, and I'm sure during our NFL segment, Kyle will tell us all about that. Well, there, there's some teams that you question, did they deserve that shot uh, this week? And and then there's a bunch of head head coaching positions where you're questioning, well, was that the right move? Was that the right decision? Uh, did they deserve a shot? Uh, we had already touched on a couple coaching uh, vacancies that were already out there, the Bears, Vikings, uh, Broncos, and Dolphins at the time. But since then, the Giants have parted ways uh, with Joe Judge. Um, I'm blanking on some of the other ones. Uh, who else, Ariane? Raiders, Jaguars. Ra- well, he, those were ones that we hadn't touched on, but it already happened. Yeah. Uh, and we're sitting at 25% of the NFL head coaching jobs are vacant currently. Um, one thing to to kind of keep an eye on is one of the hot coaching names right now is uh, Brian Flores, who was ousted at Miami. There are rumors swirling that um, Deshaun Watson, who is seeking a trade to Miami, that uh, was in largely orchestrated largely orchestrated by Brian Flores reportedly uh, they are trying to uh, team up potentially on one of those uh, head coaching vacant teams right now. Keep your eye maybe on Denver, maybe on a team like the giants uh, potentially landing those, those two as a combo, both as a head coach and a quarterback, but for teams that still have head coaches and quarterbacks, uh, they were all or They were playing this weekend. Uh, on Super Wild Card Weekend, and there were three games that just weren't close. Uh, from the start, the Bills absolutely dominated the Patriots. Uh, they either scored 21 or 28 points unanswered to start that game. They had three consecutive touchdown drives. It was a cold one in Buffalo, but the Bills were red hot, and the Patriots just didn't have an answer at all in that game. Uh, obviously, it, it's that you know, changing of the guard, so to speak, in that NF or AFC East, uh, as the Bills look like the team to beat now for a while. Yes, Mac Jones had a good year as a rookie quarterback for the Patriots, and that defense is is nothing short of good. Um, but they were just outmanned, outplayed, and it seemingly outcoached in that game, which is hard to do against Bill Belichick. Uh, the Eagles. Uh, we're the only team with a first-year head coach that made the playoffs this year, and better luck next year is really all you can say there. It, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers absolutely just handled the Eagles that entire game. It, the, really, the only time that the Bucks were forced off the field is because they were making quite a few mistakes. The Bucks are without a ton of offensive weapons. 
Uh, Leonard Fournette was out of this game. Um, Ronald Jones was also out. So they were down to their third and fourth string running backs. Chris Godwin's out as well. Uh, so big issues on uh, the offense for the Bucks, but they still managed to get the job done. Another blowout. That game was not as close as the score turned out to be as the Eagles scored twice in the fourth quarter late in garbage time. Uh, the Chiefs and the Steelers started out as a really, really close game. No points scored in that first quarter. Uh, first points scored of the game were a defensive touchdown by the Steelers, but then the the Chiefs just opened it up. 28-7 to was the score at one point and kept pouring it on. Uh, as Mahomes had five touchdowns, Travis Kelsey threw a touchdown as well, and that game got ugly in a hurry. Uh, once once the Chiefs offense started to to ramp things up and get things going in the other two games of the week, it, you know, one of the highlights of each game for sure and how you can lump these two games together is officiating received a lot of grief this weekend. Uh, the Las Vegas and the Cincinnati Bengals game. Uh, we'll touch on that later in Mike's stupid rules on what happened there, but close game. It ended up coming down to the wire. The Raiders had a chance to, to win it late, uh, a fourth down play goal to go. Um, one, get it into the end zone and you have a shot to tie up that game. They were unable to come through as the ball was intercepted by the Bengals and they win their first playoff game, uh, since 1991, as we touched on in our, uh, in our, you know, fun facts segment to open up this episode. And then Dallas and San Francisco, probably the best game of the the weekend by far. San Francisco burst out of the gate uh, in this game, opening it up to a uh, 23-7 lead at that time. But then the Cowboys defense stepped up, didn't let them score anymore, and gave themselves a chance. But Dallas shot themselves in the foot in this game too much. They, they had 14 penalties, which tied a franchise record in a playoff game. Uh, 14 penalties for nearly 100 yards. A couple crucial ones in the fourth quarter when they looked like they were going to be able to stop San Francisco and get the ball back with about two minutes left. Uh, they had a really, really bad defensive holding um, that they they had no business defensive holding that. on a lineman. The lineman held the other lineman. Like, what are you even doing? If you're holding as a defensive lineman on a run play. He didn't just hold him. He held him and tackled him to the ground. You, you just, you can't make those kind of mistakes. Fourth quarter, you're trying to get the ball back, give yourself a shot to win the game, and bam, shoot yourself in the foot with a stupid penalty like that. Uh, didn't give them much time. They burned all their timeouts. So that final possession, they were scrambling, scrambling. Literally, as Dak Prescott runs a quarterback draw up the middle uh, with 18 seconds left, runs for about 17 yards on the play. Uh, they get up to the line and the center just places the ball down, uh, which is not allowed. The official has to touch the ball in order for the has to touch the ball and set the ball before uh, the play can happen. So the official has to sprint in. This all happens with four seconds left. Official sprints in, basically trucks Dak Prescott to get to the ball, places it. By the time the ball is is hiked and spiked in order to stop the clock, there is no time remaining on the game, and that's how the game ends. You know, everyone in Dallas is up in arms. Oh, there should have been one second left. There should have been one second left. We would have won. 
Guys, the ball is on the 27-yard line with one one play left. All right, are you going to get the right play call in with no timeouts? You know, who knows? Does Dallas have a shot to win that game? Yeah, but it's very, very slim chance to win that game. So that was that. Was that. Now you have your NFL matchups for this next weekend in the divisional round upcoming. Uh, in the NFC, San Francisco, after knocking off Dallas, they get the pleasure of uh, traveling to Lambeau Field um, for that game against the Green Bay Packers. The uh Bucks play host to the winner of Monday night's game between the Rams and the Arizona Cardinals. Yes, there is a Monday night game. Mike and I have have talked about that a little bit. Monday night games for the NFL are kind of stupid. It, it kind of handcuffs the team as they don't get as much rest as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers do now. But for uh, the Arizona Cardinals and the Los Angeles Rams, they do play that game on Sunday, so they do get... Uh, six days of rest, but still not as much rest as the Buccaneers. And then in the AFC, the Chiefs play host to the Buffalo Bills, which is a rematch of the AFC championship game from last season. And then the number one seed Titans who get Derrick Henry back uh, in the backfield for them play host to uh, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase and the Cincinnati Bengals. So should be an exciting, exciting week in divisional football uh, in the NFL as everyone's gunning for that shot in their uh, respective championship games. Yeah, can can we just talk for a second about how important it was for the NFL to add that seventh team to the playoff because that seventh team in both conferences is always just so good that they don't absolutely embarrass themselves in the playoffs. Like, come on, I get it makes the NFL a bunch of money, but let's stop diluting the playoffs. And it goes for other sports too. It goes for the NBA with this, what's this stupid 10 team make the playoffs because they're stupid play-in games now. Let's stop diluting the playoffs. The playoffs only need to be big enough so you can get every team that has a legitimate argument that they might be the best team into the playoffs, right? Nobody had an argument that the Eagles or the Steelers were the best team. Nobody in their right mind is trying to make that argument. They don't need to make the playoffs. They don't need the seventh team in the playoffs. We don't need 10 teams in the NBA playoffs. I didn't even think I was going to talk about this, but it just came up and then I started ranting, so I'm sorry. It it dilutes it so that – the. Really, the second seed doesn't matter that much, except that you, if you win your first game, you're guaranteed a second game at home, and that's it. I mean, look at the Cincinnati Bengals. They had a chance, an outside shot at that two, number two seed since they beat the Chiefs. Had the Chiefs lost in the final week of the season, week 18, and the Bengals won, they would have had the two seed. But Cincinnati sat a lot of their players and didn't, didn't give a rip about the game because... You know, the two seed doesn't make that much of a difference now uh, in the football. In football, you don't get that bye week um, for rest. So it, it has diluted it a ton. And then you play kind of a meaningless game. Look at the Eagles and the Bucks. The, the Bucks lost for a little bit in that game two Pro Bowl linemen um, because they were playing that first week in the wild card. The Chiefs. Fortunately, didn't have a whole bunch of in injuries in that game, but it could have been worse. You get a bunch of players injured in that, and the whole season is a little bit different, or the playoffs is a little bit different too. So a lot of ifs and buts, but I agree with Mike that it's diluting it, watering it down, and it, it makes it you know, not as exciting. 
I think. Yeah, I agree. But I mean, I get it. It keeps teams in, keeps fan bases interesting. Two extra playoff games makes the NFL lots of money. Um, everyone likes the money. Um, but it is what it is. All right, and do you want to fill us in on those quests for those 20 NBA uh, playoff spots and see how the NBA I is doing? Would love to. And to be fair, for all the expansion, all the games next weekend sound really exciting still. I can't think of one. I was trying to think of the one I want to watch the least, but they all sound awesome, honestly. I can't expect them not being all pretty good games, unlike the boring games we had this week. Yeah, I agree. Much should be much better slate next week. I will say, technically, they are play-in games, so the other teams don't technically make the playoffs, but... That whole play-in thing is basically the NBA's way to work around the fact that they refuse to redistribute seating because for a while the West has been way better than the East and there's always like a team that's 500 or below from the East that's somehow in the playoffs while you have a team that's seven to eight games above 500 that does not get to go in the West. So they could just change that by, I don't know, seating completely because out of all the sports, I feel like divisional rivalries don't mean that much in basketball when you guys were talking about the tie last week i was like you're forgetting the fact that they're divisional rivals they're not going to tie with their divisional rivals they hate those guys they want to beat them every time i think that's something you can't overlook yeah Um, but playing that game was against your self-interest well not if you win people don't act against their self-interest deliberately very often do (laughs) both teams did it last week but it's only against your self-interest if you win not everybody Justin Herbert, you know, if you play like crap or you don't play that well, people got to some of these people are playing for their jobs. Yeah, but those are on the line, too. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, I'll, sorry, that's I'll off topic. NBA real quick here. Uh, Katie just sprained his MCL and is out for the next four to six weeks. So that's terrible news for the Nets, who are already dealing with part time Kyrie. So you basically have James Harden, who's going to be carrying the team for the next month. And we've seen that he is more than capable of that, but that's a little bit of a different play style than he has been utilizing since he joined the Nets. The Memphis Grizzlies are streaking and looking great over the past couple weeks. John Morant is looking fantastic. It's good to see him back and healthy after his injury as well. Uh, speaking of injuries, Clay Thompson returned recently and has played pretty well so far in his return. He's averaging 13.8 points, three rebounds, about two assists, and half a block and a steal, shooting 35%. Um, and he's playing around 20 minutes a game. He still has a minutes cap, but uh, the last time he played was over two and a, over two years ago. COVID didn't exist. John Morant, Zion Williamson, those guys, they weren't even in the NBA, so it's crazy how long it's been since he's even picked up a basketball and shot it on the court, so it's really awesome to see him back and to see the Splash Brothers back in action. Uh, the Bulls, the Heat, and the Nets are leading in the East, and then you have the Suns, the Warriors, and the Jazz, who are leading in the West. Uh, The NBA trade deadline is February 10th. Rumors are kind of starting to come up. People are talking a little bit more, so keep your eye on that and see if there are any big moves that can be made. Uh, Keep an eye on Portland and um, especially Philadelphia to see whether they can move Ben Simmons, who has not yet played this year because he would like to be traded. Um, A couple things happened, but not too much so far. Cam Reddish got traded to New York from Atlanta for Kevin Knox and I believe some picks. Um, So Cam Reddish will be reuniting with his college teammate, RJ Barrett, who both went to Duke. And it may be fun, you know, if uh, see if Zion can manage to get his way to New York as well. And they could both all three be together. Uh, Bull Bull 
son of Manute Bowl, who plays in Denver, was going to be traded to the Pistons, but failed his physical. So he will stay there. And that is really all the action we have so far. But we should start seeing talks pick up and somewhere in February, we'll start seeing stuff go down pretty frequently here. That's all I got. Yeah, it'll be interesting. The NBA trade deadline usually isn't super exciting. It's not like the MLB trade deadline, but I'd rank it probably like second in the major. Oh, yeah. It depends on the year. It can be really fun or it could be really disappointing. Yeah, it's more exciting than the NBA uh, than the NFL trade deadline for sure, but less than the MLB in my opinion. In my opinion, um, but the as as Kyle mentioned, there was some excitement on the officiating front, um, and the play we're going to talk about um, is from that Bengals Raiders game. I, mean, I believe it was the Bengals' second touchdown. Um, so Joe Burrow was rolling out of the pocket, and he was right near the sideline, and. Right before he throws the ball, at least in my opinion, it was before he threw the ball, um, a whistle blows. I don't know. I assume it was from an official. It was pretty clear. Um, assume it was an official. Inadvertent whistle. Um, it ended up being a touchdown pass. Um, the play continued and it was a touchdown pass and the officials ruled it a touchdown on the field, um, which if there was an inadvertent whistle is not um, what the rules say. So we're just going to go over this real quick um, about what should happen in the case when inadvertent whistle is blown. And it's important that that the ball was still in his hand at the time um, because that sort of affects um, um, the ruling here. So anyway, we're looking at of the NFL rulebook, Rule 7, Section 2, Article 1, Part M, where it says, when the official sounds the whistle erroneously, while the ball is still in play, the ball becomes dead immediately. So immediately, as soon as that whistle sounds, the ball becomes dead. Uh, and then uh, subpart one is that if the ball is in player possession, the team in possession may elect to put the ball in play where the, it was when the whistle blew or replay the down. So basically the offense can choose. Like if they just completed a 40-yard pass and there was an inadvertent whistle, they can choose to take the ball you know, for the 40-yard gain or replay the down. Um, if it is a loose ball because of a, uh, a fumble or an illegal forward pass, the team that was last in possession um, may either put the ball in play at the fumble spot or replay the down. If the ball is in the air from a legal forward pass or kick, the ball is returned to the previous spot and the down is replayed. Um, and if there's a penalty by either team during this time, um, if the um, offense chooses to replay the down, the penalty just never happened. Um, but if they choose to take the ball from the spot where the whistle blew, then the penalties will be enforced just like they would on a regular play um, had that been the result. So basically in this situation, because the inadvertent whistle blew before the pass was thrown, we fall into subpart one here, and the Bengals could choose to either have the ball where Joe Burrow was um, when the whistle blew and have the play count, or replay the down. Now Joe Burrow was two yards behind the line of scrimmage when that whistle blew, um, so I assume they're not going to voluntarily take the two-yard sack, and they're actually going to replay the down. Um, but either way, there's, there should have been a replay down. No, it's it's right in the rules. It's really explicit. Inadvertent whistle. It doesn't matter if there's a perception that it didn't affect the play. 
I thought it did. I thought the defenders let up a little bit after that, after the whistle. But either way, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the official's judgment says it wouldn't have affected the play. It doesn't matter. As soon as that inadvertent whistle happens, um, the play should be dead. Any questions about that? I'm all good. And I think it's pretty clear there. Uh, it's not the first time we've seen the NFL screw up a call and then refuse to acknowledge it or correct it in any way. Obviously, I'm reminded of the Rams and Saints game where, you know, we made a whole new rule about it after that game. So not surprised. I think this would be a prime scenario where the NFL could come forward and kind of, I don't want to say restore the faith in the officials, but try to prove to the general public that officiating is as much of maybe a sport is in the right term. But uh, in the concept of, you know, in sports, you have athletes that make mistakes Obviously, officials make mistakes, and this is something where they should have came out and said, hey, you know, we screwed up here, obviously. This is the type of training these guys go through, and this is what we'll do to help remediate that, and hopefully this doesn't happen again. It looked to me like the side judge had a brain fart and didn't realize that the ball left his hands when uh, Burrow stepped out of bounds. But weird overall that I, I think could ultimately be turned into a positive that the NFL is just not capitalizing on. Yeah, I think the NFL screwed it up by putting out a statement that said, basically said nothing went wrong um and that obviously wasn't the case so the nfl didn't help um what was a bad situation but yeah obviously officials make mistakes it happens um it does sound like internally the nfl is looking into it and is gonna do something about it but at least externally they're not uh saying anything but unlike the nfl we come out and we say it when we screw up and there was a good amount of screwing up, as always, that we'll go over here in our accountability session. We had four predictions come off the board. Um, first to come off the board, um, realistically, I could have taken this off the board a long time ago, but I waited until officially. Um, we had the last AP poll um, come out um, after the national championship game. The Cyclones were not in the top 10. So Wyatt's prediction um, that ISU football would get back into the AP top 10, actually I think it was just any top 10, um, by the end of the year is now officially wrong. So, nah. 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 Kyle predicted that Brees Hall would finish top five in the NCAA in rushing yards and um, rushing touchdowns. He did finish uh, top five in rushing touchdowns. He finished fourth with 20 or tied for fourth with 20 rushing touchdowns, but he didn't get there in yards. He finished eighth um, in total rush yards. If he would have played in his bowl game, there was a chance he would have gotten into the top five, but he didn't. So he uh, stays at eighth and Kyle gets a nah. Nah. Uh, he did, however, average more than a hundred um, scrimmage yards per game. He crushed that. He averaged more than a hundred rush yards per game with 1,464 rush yards in 12 games. So for that, Kyle gets a ding-ding-ding-ding. Ding-ding-ding. And Arian continues to uh, go through a little bit of a hitless streak to open up um, his Write That Down campaign. He predicted that both teams would lead by 10, one point in the national championship game. Georgia did at one point, but Alabama I don't uh, never led by double digits. So for that, Arian gets a... Nah. 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 That's it for our accountability session, so I will put some stuff back on the board. I am bullish on the way that the Cyclone women's basketball team is playing, 
and I'm going to predict that they get up to a one seed in the NCAA tournament. As I mentioned earlier, they are uh, currently seventh in the uh, women's net rankings. I mean, is is this just a double? It might be a double. It might be a single, honestly. They have 13 games left. Five of them are against ranked opponents. Uh, three ranked games at home, I think, and two away. And I would they, not be they've surprised. Already beaten, they've already beaten the two hardest teams on the or maybe two of the toughest road games left. Road games on the schedule. OU, K State at the time. I mean, if they win at Baylor this week, yeah. If I they win at Baylor this week, too. I agree. But yeah, it's it's a big F. Baylor's only lost one conference home game in the last five years. Granted, it was last year to Iowa State, but still, it's a double at best for me. I, I'm I, split. I'm going to say 50. double. I feel pretty confident in these ladies. They're putting it down. They are. I'll take a double. Yeah, I wasn't hoping for more than a double. You have anything from Josh this week? Is he still alive? Yep, still alive. He's doing good. He's also watching the NFL playoffs like most of us. He's going to make a prediction about Monday's game. We are recording before Monday's game. He is predicting that the Cardinals um, will win that game. Cardinals beat the Rams is Josh's prediction. Cardinals are three and a half point dogs. Yeah, 538 gives the Cardinals a 30% chance to win. Um, ESPN's Football Power Index gives the Cardinals a 42% chance to win. This is a single, double, somewhere in that line. What are we thinking? Single or double? That's probably like a double. I think the Rams suck. And I think that that Matt Stafford will... Tune into his inner, you know, lion and just be terrible all the time. So I figure they'll lose. I hope they lose. Yeah, you don't like the Rams, do you? I'm not a big fan. <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> so, so are we thinking single or double? Is I'm DeAndre Hopkins double. playing? Let me look. DeAndre Hopkins is active, I believe. Let me look. Pro Football Network says. Active for the Cardinals tonight. Ooh. Yep. Calling it a coin flip. I give it a, a single. Single. I think if Hopkins isn't playing, it's a double. Hopkins. Okay, single it is. I, I, uh, I'm going to say that Mike McCarthy is going to get the boot mm. get fired before uh, next season starts. This is first season or second season? McCarthy's? This is first? I thought, I thought, but I couldn't remember. I thought it was the second. Maybe this is first. No, Regardless, I don't. I don't think he needs to be a head coach of uh of any team, to be quite honest. Let me look. Um, it doesn't really matter for, at least in my opinion, this is his second season. Okay. Yeah. Cowboys head coach. What? Boy, I just don't think they're going to fire him. I don't either. I don't think you give him the boot yet. I would be shocked as well. I would give that probably a uh, triple. I'm fine with that, yeah. He I has just a five-year contract as well, so... Yeah. Heck yeah. All right, Kyle, what about you? Yeah, I'm going to stick with the coaching uh, train here. I'm going to say that the Raiders, despite firing their GM, so the new GM is going to retain their interim coach right now. Oh, did you guys see the cute video with him and uh, Zay Jones? It was, like, from the sideline during a game, and uh, Rich is going through and, like, you know, staying, you know, mindset, mindset, and, uh, Jones kind of brings him in, like, like, come here, come here, I got something to tell you in his ear. And he says, you're doing a good job, coach. 
And he's like, oh, I love you, man. And they walk away. It was really cute. I hope he stays. I mean, the team Single. certainly responded well to him. Um, they played well down the stretch, getting into the playoffs. Uh, I'm going to say double on this just because of the new GM. Um, if it's the same GM, I think maybe uh, maybe they they keep him. But I'm saying double because of the new GM. I've heard rumors potentially, you know, some guy in college who coaches an M school took a pay cut this year and did pretty well. He might want out and maybe he would go to the Raiders. You never know. I, I think it all depends on who's available. If they can't get somebody that's as good as Harbaugh, why would you replace him if the team likes him? But yeah, I think I mean, he has if, a you, if you got the troops, if you got the troops rallying around him, you know. Yeah. And we'll but, see if we can find that video and put it on our Twitter too. So I, I keep looking for a double because of the GM change. So yeah, that's fine. Double, double it is. Ian. Uh, so Kyle and I have been talking and I've talked to Mike about it as well. We watched the game and I've noticed any single time Jazz Koontz gets the ball for the Iowa State men's team, he is going to shoot it or he is going to basically stand there and pivot until he can hand the ball to somebody. And it is a rare sight to see that man actually dribble the ball, even in half court situations where he's getting the inbounds pass to break a press like you guys were talking about earlier. He will stand there. He will not dribble and he will pass the ball. So I am betting that against the Texas Tech Raiders, Koontz will take less than 15 dribbles the entire game. All right. Uh, we're all going to need to help count this. Yeah, yes. we'll need to keep um, our own tallies yeah. and see what happens. Yes, we, let's yeah. all keep our own dribble tallies and see what we get we'll, um, at we'll the end of the game. We'll come back and confer. But, so, this is, so, let, so if he takes 15 dribbles, this is wrong, correct? It's strictly less than 15 dribbles? I'll say 15 or less. 15 or less, okay. Cool. Um, let's see. I have no idea. I mean, double trip. I have no idea. It's hard to quantify it because fifteen is a ridiculous amount of dribbles to take for the whole game. Most people can get that in one possession, but at the same time, he basically never dribbles. I'm thinking probably triple a home run. I don't know. What do you guys? I, think? I would argue for a home run here, just oh, for I the like simple that. fact of hitting the cycle, and it's probably yeah, not going to happen. I swing for the fences, you know. That's why I don't have any hits. I'm fine with the home run, I guess, Kyle. Maybe. I mean, if you, if two people say home run, I guess my opinion doesn't really matter. So there you go. I love it. Home run. All right. Home run it is. Rock on with a single double, two triples, and a home run. Uh, correction, a single two doubles, a triple, and a home run. That concludes our Write That Down prediction segment, which means we're at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening to episode 159 of the 8311 cast. Appreciate y'all sticking around. Make sure you check out our Instagram and our Twitter, both at 8311cast. They're active. Check them out. Follow, retweet, like, do all that awesome stuff. But in the meantime, signing off for the 8311cast, we have your hosts. Kyle Mersh. Mike Ludwig. Ram Barry. And Wyatt Teeter. Talk to y'all again next week. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones.